Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. For all the promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen. One translation I, I read years ago really brought out the, the meaning of this, real, made it real clear. And it said, for as many as are the promises of God, Christ is the yes and amen pronounced on each one of those. Christ in him, in Christ is the yes and the amen to every promise. He is the fulfillment of every promise. He is the, the one who secures every promise. We have all of the blessing that was ever promised to anybody in Christ. We have it. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, God is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. Amen. Hallelujah. I, I, I read to you this morning something I'd written about the law. I didn't, I didn't really finish it. There's a couple other points here that I noticed uh, when you go through every passage uh, where grace versus the law is discussed in the New Testament, that is in the epist- Acts and the Epistles, uh, and every place believers are warned about the danger of putting themselves back under the law, you will observe, observe these four things. The law being referred to is always the law of Moses. It's not just law in a general principle, as a general principle. Uh, without exception, the practice of keeping the law that Paul warned against was always the effort to be justified. Uh, to be declared to be cl- declared righteous or to be saved by doing the works of the law. Uh, number three, I didn't I didn't point out these these two others. Number three, the New Testament presents certain conditions God expects the believer to meet in order to please Him and to reap the benefits He has provided by His grace. Turn with me over to First uh, John. Just as an illustration, First John, and look at chapter three. For if our heart does not, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, than our heart, and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Uh, Like I said, the the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament presents certain conditions God expects the believer to meet in order to please him and to reap the benefits he has provided by his grace. Reaping the blessing of obedience to New Testament commandments, however, is in no way connected with Old Testament law. Nor is obedience to these New Testament commandments in any way a condition to being loved by God, being saved, being made righteous, or being approved or accepted as his child. There's only one way to be accepted as God's child. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to to come into the family of God, and that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But, and so in no way... uh, is any obedience to New Testament commandments a condition for that. But we're still commanded to do certain things and to obey God. Isn't that right? 
Number four, now this is the most striking thing because like I said, so often whenever today, it's a very curious thing. When anyone, uh, I have friends, you know, most in just this, I always say this, I say this a couple of times a year. I'm not Facebook friends with a lot of people in the congregation, just one or two. Uh, that's not my purpose on Facebook. My purpose on Facebook uh, is a little different. And so most of my friends are ministers and uh I've noticed that any time a, a, a friend of mine will post something, a statement about, about obeying God and how God will bless you, and obey, I mean immediately they're attacked. And they're, and, and they're saying, you know, that's the law. You're putting this legalism. You're putting people under the law to say that God will bless you if you do certain things. That he's our, he said he'll bless you irregardless. That's, that's the position. He'll bless, he'll bless you irregardless because all the blessing is in Christ. And if you're in Christ, all the blessing's yours. doesn't matter what you do. Well, the Bible, the New Testament just doesn't, doesn't say that. And, it, and I found, and I went through the Bible looking for this as well through the New Testament. Now, maybe you can find one. But I could not find one example in the New Testament of someone being corrected for expecting to be blessed by God for obeying his word. And yet, and yet this, this uh, correction comes all the time from ministers. If you, if you talk about being expect, expecting a blessing for doing something uh, that the word says, I mean, you know, you just get corrected for it. I did not find one example in the New Testament of anyone being corrected for expecting to be blessed by God for obeying his word as revealed in the New Testament. On the contrary, there are many promises of blessing for the believer for obeying God and these blessings are often clearly presented as motivation or to incentivize the believer to obedience. One good example is the the, the case that we've been studying, the scripture we've been looking at for for months and, and, and months or weeks and weeks now, several months. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly for God uh, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace. Every favor and earthly blessing come to you. If that is not motivational, you don't understand what motivation is. Amen. We're, we're encouraged to give with the promise that he will make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. Well, how does it come? It comes in response to your obedience. Amen. Uh, exhorting believers to obey the New Testament, to please God, and to expect to be rewarded for it is not legalism or legalistic. Neither is warning believers of the consequences of disobedience. When Paul warned the church and told the church at Corinth that it was because of not discerning the Lord's body that many were weak and sickly and many had died prematurely, he was telling them, you're suffering these things as the consequence of not discerning the Lord's body. And if you and, and I know Kenneth E. Hagan was not the first person, I'm sure, but he kind of championed and, and brought to, uh, into prominence the idea 
that not discerning the Lord's body is not discerning the fact that Jesus' body was broken on the cross and he received the stripes for his, on his body that we might be healed. Kenneth Hagin popularized the idea and the teaching that that's what he was talking about. Well, it, it's an important truth. And that's why Kenneth Hagin uh, brought it out. It was, some, it was a side of, of it that no one uh, had, had seen and had overlooked and it needed to be brought out. But <clears throat> it is what I call a secondary truth. Go over there and look at it with me. This is 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Start in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what would be the unworthy manner in which he's talking about? Well, let's, let's, before we answer that, let's finish reading. So let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. Now, there are people today that say, that will tell you just, I mean, just as plain as, as, as you recite the ABCs that, that God doesn't judge the church. Well, you know, I, I read the scripture to them and they still say that. You know, some people you just can't talk to. I mean, it doesn't matter if you, if you have it spelled out on the wall, you know, by, by a hand appearing in the darkness, they're not going to believe it. It says right here, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged, but we, when we are judged, we are we are. Judged by the devil. Is that what it says? We are chastened by the Lord. Now there's a side of it that, that the word of faith, Kenneth Hagin, my spiritual father, there was a side of these things that had to be brought out. And so he was presenting another side to things. But there is also the other side of the issue. I'll say this, that most People who haven't heard, most people who haven't heard are, are weak and sick because of a lack of faith. That was what was wrong with the body of Christ. Back in, when, in the day that Brother Hagin started preaching this, and like I said, he wasn't the first, there were others, but, but God used him in, in, a, in a way that uh, he became, you know, sort of the, the father of, of this message, but... Uh, in the day in which he preached this, there was not nearly as much sin in the church as there is today. Thank you for those amens. I need a friend in here. It's the truth. People didn't live like the devil. Primarily in the church, people didn't live like people do today, trying to be as much like the world as they can be. Brother Hagin was a Pentecostal preacher preaching in Pentecostal churches that didn't believe in doing anything that even was remotely like the world. You got to understand the context of his ministry. And in his day, 
most of the people who were weak and sick weren't that were not that way because they were under judgment or being chastened of the Lord. They were that way because of a lack of faith. They hadn't heard. I said they hadn't heard. They had been, in fact, beat down by preachers and made to feel like they didn't measure up and they weren't holy enough. They didn't pray enough. They didn't do this enough or that enough. People were just beat down and, and they never heard really the promises. And so brother, God used Brother Hagen. God called, God called him and, and established him as a voice to bring out the truth of what belongs to us so that we'd have faith. But I'm gonna tell you what, in, in word of faith churches, the, the, the greatest cause of weakness and sickness and so forth is not so much a lack of faith as it is disobedience to God. Thank you. I, I, I knew we would have a real shouting service tonight. This isn't in my notes. This is what I was going to preach on, but this is good anyway. It's true. What did he say? If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, what was this chastening? What was, what was the result of this judgment? For this reason, many are sick and weak and many have died prematurely. Now, folks, now, now, I went to Ramah and Brother Hagen had, had truth that he preached in his crusades. And the things that he, the books that he wrote, that was the message God called him to go teach my people faith. So that's what he did. But I have classroom tapes. I've got the CDs. Where in the classroom, he taught that pastors have to teach their, their congregation uh, more than that and that there's another side and that you don't preach. This is what Brother Hagin said to Rama students as preparing for ministry. You don't preach faith and healing in your church the same way as you preach it in crusades. And that healing has to be taught differently to believers than it does to non-believers. That was what Kenneth Hagin said. I've got it on CD. Huh? Did I say it? But I'm, I'm pointing out, I not only have it on cassette, I have it on CD. It's been digitized, okay? <laughs> Who listens to cassettes still? I know Iris does. Do you still do? Occasionally? If your machine, if you can find a machine... <laughs> no, I have it. I have it electronically. Uh, for this cause, we have to preach this cause. For this reason, now not discerning the Lord's body, he goes before that. He says, eating and drinking, uh, taking communion in an unworthy manner. That that was the not discerning of the Lord's body. Again, there is a secondary meaning of not discerning his body and, and what was provided in redemption. But the, that is not the primary meaning of this passage. Go back up 
You, can't, you, have to, you have to read everything in context. Go back up to the 17th verse. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. Can you imagine coming to church and you're worse off for coming to church? That surely not ought, shouldn't be. He said, you don't come together for the better, but you come together for the worse. You're actually worse off. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I have received of the Lord. And then, so when he's talking about, therefore, whoever eats this, he talks about what the Lord said about receiving communion. And then he said, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. I would say eating, uh, not preferring one another. Now, you have to understand this. You have to study enough about the Bible to know this, that there were two things, and there's two things in, in view here. There was something called the love feast that was practiced by the church, and then there was what we call communion. They, they often happen concurrently, but they are not the same thing. The love feast uh, was when the church would people in the church would bring their food and they would have a common meal. We, the parallel today is, you know, dinner on the ground, churches have, or fellowships. We do that today. We do the same thing. We just don't call it the same thing. When they would bring all their food together and they would have a big meal, they'd put it all together and it was called the love fest. And it was to be shared with everyone. And then they would receive communion. What the Corinthians were doing, not all of them, but certain ones of them, were they were bringing their food, not letting anybody else eat. Now, in in the days of the New Testament, you had a real uh, 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 difference in in classes of people. It's not like in in, in the West today. You had very, very poor people and you had very, very rich people. And, and it was designed so that everyone could, could eat and, ha- and be equal and share. But those who had plenty were hoarding it to themselves and their cadre, their family and their friends, I guess. And they were becoming gluttonous. They were stuffing themselves and drinking to drunkenness. And across the, across the table was somebody that didn't even have enough to eat. <laughs> Glory to God. Walker was having a little fun back there. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, What were they doing? They were not discerning the body of Christ. They were not discerning that they were one, that they were equal. That and he was said, he said, You're despising the church of God. 
When you don't walk in love towards your brethren, that is a serious offense. And if you do it long enough, he said, for this reason, many are sick. This, this, wasn't, that, this wasn't something that had just happened. Now, he had gotten a report. He said, uh, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, now, somebody, somebody said one time, uh, if I can get this right, a pastor had told me something about a member of his church. And this member of his church left his church and came to my church, started attending my church just many, many years ago. And this, this other pastor that, that uh, we had a really good relationship. Anybody, anytime somebody showed up in my congregation and I shook hands with them and they said, I'm from George Kearns' church, I'm from Pastor Kearns' church over in Chiefland, then that night or the next day I was on the phone to Pastor George. So I just want you to know that, you know, last night, Sunday night, so-and-so from your church was in my church because there is this unholy thing that happens between churches where somebody is, uh, God's dealing with them and they're not wanting to do what's right and so the pastor is, he may not, be even, he may not even know that he's doing it but he's preaching something that's really causing them a problem. So they'll leave that church and go find them another church where there's more love. Yeah, there's just not enough love in that church. And, uh, and so very, what the problem is very often the pastor that's on the receiving end of that, oh, goody, goody, I've got more people. I've got another person in my church. Ooh, you're the greatest things ever. I'll put you on the platform. I heard you sing. Now I'll make you praise and worship leader. There are pastors who will jump on, I don't. I said, I don't. I don't, not doing I'm not jumping on that. Amen. Particularly when they come to me, I, boy, I'm really straight here. Got this from Pastor Greg last week. <laughs> Particularly when they come to me telling me all about how uh, bad their pastor was. Well, you know, I was going to such and such a church, you know, and then, 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 then. I'm thinking, now why in the world I want you in my church? Because you're going to leave here and tell the same things about me. I know you are. Absolutely you're going to do that. 100% of the time that's what's going to happen. So I'm not, I'm not tickled that you're here. I'm not, I'm not thrilled. Oh, goody, I, have an, I don't even want you. You're not a sheep, you're a goat. You know what you, know what you say to goats? Bye. So Pastor Kearns and I had an agreement. Anybody shows up from my church, his church, he calls me and lets me. Now, I don't just, I don't stand at the door and say, no, you don't, don't come here. But very often I'll say, well, why, why are you here? I'm from Pastor Kearns. What are you doing here? You're supposed to be there. And sometimes I say, well, we weren't having a service tonight. Well, okay, praise the Lord. But I still tell him. And, and we would tell one another like this. And, and, uh, but in, in discussing sometimes, you know, he would tell me, you know, such and such a person. Well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm just not helping him. You know, I, I'd, I'd like for him to stay, but he's not receiving from me and, and he's not growing. And listen, if you can help him, you know, help him. So I'd take him, you know. But he would tell me about, this, this person, what he's done. I had somebody challenge me one time. 
You know, the Bible says love believes the best of every person. You're not supposed to be toting tails, even pastors. Well, now that's ridiculous. How many of you parents, how many of you parents think, Johnny did something bad today, but I can't tell his dad because I don't want to be spreading rumors. Now listen, you don't want the children, you don't want the children telling on one another, isn't that right? Picking on one another. But parents talk. They better talk. Paul preached against gossiping and, 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 and so forth. But he said, I hear. And in part, I believe it. <laughs> so apparently, it's okay when a preacher hears something to take it under advisement. All right? That's not not walking in love. That's being a parent. Amen. And so people who do not walk in love towards one another, if you, like in what I started to say, this didn't just happen right before he wrote this letter. He said, because for this cause, many are weak and sick and many have already died. So this was an ongoing problem. It's still an ongoing problem. I said, it's still an ongoing problem. The biggest, the quickest thing that will result in in, uh, God having to chasten you is not walking in love. And spiritual sins in general will result in judgment, not quick, but quicker than what we call natural sins. Sins of the heart. Yeah, will bring God's uh, correction in your life quicker than other things that we like to talk about. Oh, we like to talk about all of the all of the you know nasty behavior, you know, sins of the flesh, but the worst things are sins of the heart. Those are far worse. That's those are the things God really sees. Amen. The Bible says God. Uh, is gracious to the humble, but he resists the proud. Proud heart, rebelliousness, not walking in love, treating your, your brothers and sisters in, a, in an uh, unholy way. That's not discerning the Lord's body. And, and that resulted in the church at Corinth in many people being weak, weak, sickly, and some had even died prematurely. Well, I wonder if that's still the cause today. I guarantee you it is. Amen. Now, is faith involved? Yeah, faith is part of it, but it's not the whole story. I said, it's not the whole story. We have to preach the whole story. We have to tell the whole story. We have to present the the truth uh, because God's wanting us to to live in such a way that, that he can bring to pass everything that belongs to us. He wants us to have it all. Like I said this morning, he's done it all. He's given it all to us. Well, why, why, don't, why aren't we walking in more of it? Well, we ought to judge ourselves a little more. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean go on a, go on a witch hunt. 
but it means to be responsible and, and, and realistic and objective and, uh, and, and take, a, take inventory of yourself. That's why he said, uh, let a man examine himself. Most of the time, we like to examine the other guy. Yeah, we like to talk about what the other guy's done, how he's messed up. Yeah, well, what about you? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. It's not exactly a part of my message tonight, but, but it's the truth. See, this puts, this puts the Bible in context. It, I said this puts the Bible in context. We need to know what the Bible says about important issues. Important truth. These are truths of the Bible. Amen. Well, praise God. I'm weighing whether I want whether or not I want to say the next thing or not. I think I'll wait until I make sure I can say it right. You know, some things, anybody that's preached, you know, sometimes you say things and it's true and afterwards you think, you should have given that a little bit more preparation because I didn't say it as well as I could have said it and, and people get, they only get half of what you're saying or they, get, or they see it wrong. Amen. But there's something here, I'll tease you a little bit, there's, there's something here about, about, teaching the Bible. You know, in the scripture we read this morning uh, where it said, let the elders who who, uh, rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Uh, That word honor can mean just honor in the sense of just, uh, in a general sense, but it can also, that word was also used in, in, in reference to money, and the context, both are true, but the context actually supports the money side. This is in 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the mouth of the ox who treads out the grain. So that's the context that supports double, double honor in terms of money. This is not a pitch for money. I'm well supplied, don't, don't misunderstand me. I tell you, God's blessed me. But he said, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The word and doctrine. Today it's very unpopular to teach doctrine. So it's very unpopular. That is not the model that is being advanced all across the land. Amen. The model that's being advanced all across the land is to pick a catchy topic, an idea, a little, just grab a little concept, and it may be a good, usually it's a good concept. And then building a, a message around that concept and you take every, about every five or ten minutes, you, you, you quote a scripture. Bring a scripture up on the screen that kind of, that you could apply to that. But you're not really teaching those scriptures. You're teaching that idea that you started. That's what you're teaching, an idea. 
And like I said, you go to this scripture, you go to that scripture. But very often, if you honestly and genuinely looked at those scriptures, it's not even talking about the subject under discussion. It can lend itself to that. That's not what Paul was talking about. Those who labor in, in, in the word and doctrine. For instance, teaching on tithing. You almost today cannot find a church that will teach week after week on tithing. You just won't find it. Because the idea is you don't put pressure on people about money because if you do, they won't come to church. So you kind of throw out little things every now and then, but you you know, be, be very low-keyed about it because you don't want to offend anybody. Yeah, but what about teaching what the Bible says? See, tonight I've gone through a passage of Scripture here in, in detail teaching on a subject in the Bible, not just a popular subject that... that kind of makes people go, ooh, that was an interesting subject. That was a catchy title. How to fry chickens on Friday. I mean, you can go to so many churches today and catch some of the craziest sermon topics. Think, what in the world? And, and there's a place for teaching. Brother Hagen said years ago, he said topical preaching, preaching this kind of of uh, taking an idea and advancing it, he said that is the bane of Christian teaching. He said it's the worst kind of teaching there is. There is a place for it, but when you build your ministry around that, people don't know the Bible. They really don't know what the Bible says about actual Bible subjects. See, what I do is I try to, I find Bible subjects and I teach a Bible subject and I find little places where you can apply it. Instead of finding a little applying topic and finding a few scriptures that'll fit it. There's a difference. That's all I'm saying. I said, there's a difference. I know that the, uh, the ministry that uh, popularized this popular, this, this, uh, uh, current model that, that everybody, when I say everybody, you know what I mean by that, so many are following today. The, the ministry that, that pioneered that, that sort of uh, 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 introduced that, that kind of that model, just a couple of years ago, they came out and said, after taking some, they'd been doing this for you know, 20 years, said after taking some extensive uh, self-evaluation, he said, I found out that our people are worse off now than they were 20 years ago. They don't know as much about the Bible as they used to know. They're not growing like they once grew. He said, they don't even know the, the major doctrines of the Bible anymore because they're never taught. Well, praise the Lord. I'm an old-fashioned guy. I don't mind. I have the hair to show it. Amen. Amen. Those who labor in the word and doctrine. Doctrine is not a dirty word. Doctrine is a good word. Not dogma. There's a difference. Doctrine is the teaching of the Bible, 
verse by verse. Now, there's, there's another form of teaching, and that is people who take a book and a chapter and they just go through it. And that's, that's a good way to teach. But in so doing, sometimes you, you, you take and you expound on each verse, but then you, you don't have time. You have to go to the next verse. Well, you don't take then what, what the Bible says from 15 other sources and bring it in. You know, rightly, Paul said to rightly divide. He told Timothy, rightly divide the word. What does it mean to rightly divide the word? It means that you take on whatever Bible, Bible subject you're teaching on and you dissect, if you, if you will, the word. In other words, you go from the different places in the New Testament that teach on that subject and you bring that together, but you do it rightly. That, that means you bring it with its context in and you teach it in a balanced way and, and instead of just teaching one verse of Scripture, what it says about something, then moving to the next passage and right on, you, you might take weeks and, and expound on those. That's rightly dividing the word of truth. It's what we're supposed to do. And I'm not against other things. You don't, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say that to say that, that I'm against it and that everybody's wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's whatever you want. What, would you, what, what do you want? Do you want uh, in-depth uh, uh, explanation of what the Bible says? That's what I want. I want to know what God says on subjects that are in the Bible. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.